Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Um, very fitting because Jonah went into the sea and we're having baptisms tonight. It's a bit like that. Just got to watch out for the big fish in the water. Um, so I'm, I'm rather tired. <laughs> and so uh, I got up super early this morning. And um, so Jonah, we're going to look at Jonah. And the title of this message is Selfish is Not a Sea Creature. Selfish is Not a Sea Creature. And, uh, and, and I, you may have heard this story before, but I just need to give you context to the title of this message. Uh, we, our family enjoys playing the board game Articulate. Well, actually, the truth is I enjoy playing the board game Articulate. Darren does not enjoy playing board games at all. He hates them, and so we very really, rarely do play them. And, uh, and if we have visitors over and somehow I can manage to slip in there, hey, do you guys like board games? And, and they say yes before Darren goes, no, everybody hates board games, then maybe we get to play them. Um, but if not, um, if Daz gets in first, then it's dead. The idea is dead in the water. Daz would prefer on Christmas Eve, no, on, on New Year's Eve to discuss business strategies for the new year. Throw around some confetti. Uh, that sounds amazing. That's a party. And um, but uh, I love board games. And um, and so I, I we play board games. We play with the Messens one. That was the best ever. If you know the Messens, Dale jumped on the chair afterwards and yelled at all my kids, "In your face! In your face!" And uh, well, Dale, calm down. And um, but it was uh, it was it's lots of fun. This this game is something where you have to describe a word that's given to you on the card. And, uh, and, and if it's postman, for example, you'd say a person who delivers the mail and then, and yeah, it's, it's panic and, you know, everything. So while Daz hates board games, if we can get them out, he's the most competitive person at the table. And so this one day we're in our house in Westdale and Darren is, um, he's got this thing where you're supposed to, as soon as the person picks up the card, you turn the egg timer over. Sorry. It says how many words you can get out before the egg timer runs out. That's the point of the game. And, uh, and so... You're supposed to turn the egg timer as soon as the card gets picked up. But Darren, every single time when the person's got the egg timer, he picks up the card and goes, no, 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 just wait, just wait, just wait. Okay, go. As he's getting his thoughts right and so cheating right from the start. But um, <laughs> he was there this day and he said, a creature that swims in the ocean. And everyone's like, fish. He's like, yes, more, more. And they're like, starfish, no. Swordfish, no. Goldfish, no. It swims in the ocean. And like... <laughs> And they're going and going and eventually Daz got so frustrated that he just sat there and watched the egg timer run out and just sat there. And then the egg timer ran out and we all yelled, time! And he threw the card on the table and said, I don't even know what a selfish is. And uh, everyone's like, yeah, what is a selfish? And someone picked up and went, oh, Daz, it's like being selfish, like being, if you're selfish, you know, you keep things to yourself. That's being selfish. It's not a sea creature. And, and that was awesome. <laughs> that was so much better than the game. They won. We didn't care. We <laughs> and you know what? That story is a bit like Jonah. Uh, Jonah, a selfish is not a sea creature. And actually, being selfish is more about our hearts than whales. And the book of Jonah is the same as well. It's more about our hearts than it is about whales. So if you're taking notes, the title is Selfish is Not a Sea Creature. Subtitle, it's about hearts, not whales. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... Lord, you, you want our hearts, and you want our hearts surrendered to you. 
So, Lord, I just pray that any barrier that we've got right now, Lord, that you would be able to cut through that tonight. Lord, maybe we're distracted. Maybe we're tired. Lord, maybe we're ready and and on the edge of our seats waiting for you. Lord, whatever and wherever we're up to right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and just grab our hearts and and connect them with yours in Jesus' name. Amen. How How do you feel when you hear about Jonah and the whale? Maybe you've never heard about Jonah and the whale before. Maybe you're like, that is my favorite story in Sunday school. Bron, I hope you've got the fun size Mars bars because if you ask any questions, I've got the answers. Nineveh, three days. And the Sunday school question that the answer is always, Jesus. And uh, you get that right every single time. Um, maybe, maybe it's your favorite Sunday school story. Maybe you grew up and you're somewhat familiar with this story, Jonah and the whale. Or maybe this story is such a point of contention for you that you're like, are you serious, Bron? Are we going there? Are we talking about Jonah in the big fish? Come on. Like, what the heck? Why are we? Go- this is the 21st century. Are you serious? We're educated, well-thinking people. Are we really going to talk about someone going into a big fish for three days? That's hilarious. I don't know how you're feeling about this. And, and, and maybe you're thinking, are we going there? Yes, Jonah chapter 1. Okay, the word of the Lord, let's uh, read it together tonight. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of it and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. You see, they lived in a time where they believed that if something bad happened, it was because the gods were angry at them. And, and we might say, oh, how primitive. But who hasn't prayed in this drought? God, if there's something that we've done, please forgive us and heal our land. It's not so far removed from where we are today. Then uh, they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. When you cast lots, it's kind of like a chance thing. It's like rolling the dice and, and it fell on Jonah. Everyone pick a number and and it fell on six, and Jonah would pick six. So that's a technical way of describing casting lots. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, for he had already told them so. When everyone was saying, "Where are you? why are you going to Tarshish? And they're like, I'm visiting my mom. And, and why are you going to Tarshish? I've got a job there. Why are you going to Tarshish? I'm running away from the Lord. And uh, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Come on board. And then he says, oh, that's actually my God. They're like, what? You're running away from him. No wonder. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the, the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. Throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm, that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. That was nice of them. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing 
an innocent man for you, our Lord, have done as you please. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard. <laughs> please don't kill us. <laughs> and, the raging, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. I'm going to skip chapter 2 because Jonah prays inside the fish for what's going on with him. And uh, we'll just go to the last verse, which says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, which was a sign of mourning and humility. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, tore off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh, by the decree of the king, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. I did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than live. But the Lord replied, Have you got any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. Then he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, God? Is that, is that lightning? No. <sighs> then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people that could not tell their left hand from their right and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? End of the book. What? <laughs> okay, don't let us know how it went, Jonah, or whoever wrote that down. End of the book. That's just it. Question from God. God drops the mic and we're on with it. Well, clearly that book's about a miraculous fish, as I see it. And uh, so we need to come to a decision about this fish, people. Was it real or was it not? Well, I just wonder tonight if we can go a little bit deeper into this book, into this obscure book, into this obscure story. You see, Nineveh was located on the River Tigris, which was on the highway between the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean, which made it kind of a, a, a port of great importance. It's, it could grow rich because lots of people had to pass through there. It, it connected the east from the west. And, uh, and it was at one time the largest city in the world. In fact, 
even recently, they've still been uncovering artifacts at the city of Nineveh. Um, it's located in Iraq. Uh, for a while there, ISIL occupied the territory that, um, where Nineveh was, and they destroyed a heap of the artifacts and buried a heap of them, and, um, but they're now able to uncover them again. The person who made it so big and the largest city in the world was a man called King Sennacherib. And King Sennacherib, you may remember King Sennacherib from some stories as King Sennacherib and Hezekiah, where King Sennacherib came against Hezekiah. And uh, Hezekiah was the king at the time of Judah, and he wanted to wipe them out. You see, King Sennacherib was incredibly powerful. In Isaiah chapter 36, verse 1, it says that he came against Judah and occupied and captured all the fortified cities of Judah. So he was, he was mean, he was nasty, he plundered countries, and he went back into um, um, Nineveh, and, and it became a great city. It was built up with great wealth. I want you to imagine for a second that Indonesia got angry at us, and they decided to invade us. And uh, we should be right, though, because in their active military, they've got 395,000 um, people ready to go, and we've got 58,000. So we should be fine. In their reserves, they've got 400,000. We've got 19,000. But in terms of people ready to go, we've got 5,316,000. And they've only got 52 million. So it's going to be fine. Uh, but imagine that it's okay. They're all good. They love us. We're, we're friends. But imagine for a second that Indonesia got cranky at us and decided to invade us. Like it's a given that everything's okay for them unless we get help externally. And I write, I'm not talking military strategy right now, I'm just stating obvious facts. Imagine they came through and captured all our important cities. But there's Troy in Daniloquin, and the Indonesians don't know about Daniloquin yet. They, they're not familiar with the Ute muster, so they haven't gone there quite yet. It hasn't been that time of year. And so, so Troy's there in Daniloquin and he's like, oh my goodness, this, this country's being invaded and everything's going terrible and they're plundering us. And, and God says to Troy, you know what, Troy, I want you to go to Jakarta and I want you to pronounce judgment on them. And Troy's like, well, God, um, they're already invading the country and they're doing okay and, and, and they're taking people into conscripted labor and, 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 and they're, they've kind of got the upper hand here and, and I don't want to give them a reason to kill me. They seem to have enough already. And, and Troy's like, oh, I'm going to go to a completely different country. I'm not going to go in the direction of Jakarta. I'm going to go to a different country. I'm going to go to Tasmania. And uh, so he heads down all the way to that other land <laughs> that Greg and Carol have just evangelized. <laughs> and uh, so he runs in the opposite direction. That's exactly what Jonah does in this, in this uh, scenario. You see, there's been three prophets before him, Amos, Hosea, and Micah, and they're all dead. So um, they, they got killed by their own people. So fair enough that Jonah going to the people who have already attacked them doesn't want to go and give them a reason to kill him. So he, he decides that he doesn't want to go. He, he kind of comes up with this, this thing, though, where he says to God, firstly, he doesn't want to go. When he, he comes up with these pillars where he says, firstly, God, they're Ninevites. Like they've invaded us. They've plundered us. I, I, I hate them. I I don't like Ninevites. And he comes up with this pillar. Number one, I, I don't like Ninevites. And number two, he says, well, why would I go and warn them? Because God, they've invaded us and, and they clearly deserve to die. I don't like them. They're not nice. I don't want them around me. Pillar number two, they deserve it. And, and God, later on, he says, God, 
if you want to show them mercy, then I judge you for that. You never should have. Why would you do that? They're not nice. They don't like your people. Why would you do that? I judge you for that, Lord. And then he says, Lord, not only have you shown them mercy, you're completely letting them get off the hook altogether. And God, I judge you for that as well. And what Jonah does here, he sets up these pillars and then he puts around the pillars an unfortunate fence that he didn't really think through how he was going to secure. He didn't really understand about star posts and the need to really make sure your fence is all tied up. Day. And, uh, and he, he put around the four pillars a fence. And he said, you guys are out and I'm in because I'm of the people of God and you don't deserve a second chance and you don't deserve to know God because I'm in and you're out. And I think that Jonah probably in his mind thought that putting up the fence would take a lot shorter time than it did in reality. But if you've got to put a fence up to keep people out, it's just got to take as long as it takes. Maybe you should have put the post closer together, Jonah. But in any case, he said, I'm in and you're out. Tonight, I want you to think about Jonah's fence. Because when I hear about the book of Jonah, I hear people asking, was it a literal fish? And kind of they talk about the fish and miss the whole point of the book of Jonah. You know, in 409 AD, Augustine of Hippo, he said, something that's written on my piece of paper in my bag, Daz, if you wouldn't mind grabbing that. Yeah, just bring them all down. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, oh, yeah, first one. He said, Augustine of Hippo, he's addressing this. He says that the, the, the subject of it being a literal fish or not, 409 AD, he says it's a standing subject of ridicule among the pagans. He says they're, 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 they're scoffing at us. He, Augustine says that the thing is utterly, that they're saying the thing is utterly improbable and incredible that a man swallowed with his clothes on should have existed inside of a fish. If he was naked, it would have been a different story. I don't know why it says that. I don't know why he made a big deal of that. But they, they decided at the time that because he had his clothes on, that was terrible. Impossible. He said, questions such as these I've seen discussed by pagans amidst loud laughter and with great scorn. Wow, that doesn't sound so different. Times haven't changed so much, have they? You know, the Jews even debated it as well. Because when it says that he swallowed Jonah, it referred to a male fish but in, in the original. But when it says that it spit him out, it refers to a female fish. And the Jews say, well, uh, okay, okay. He was in a male fish, but then the male fish, this is back in early rabbinical times, then the male fish spit him into a female fish so that he could pray. And then the female fish spit him up onto the shore. Excellent reasoning, early rabbis. Um, but I, like, just what, 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 I just wonder why we care about the fish. And, and I wonder if maybe when we get to heaven, God will say, Oh, you thought it was a fish? Like you thought you thought it was a real fish, and you got all upset about whether it was a real fish or not. Um, did you notice that 
that the king said that all the animals should wear sackcloth. Like, when have you last seen a cow that would let you put sackcloth on it? Like, you know, come on, Bessie, put some, put this here sackcloth on. I'm going to sit you down in some ashes and let you mourn a little more. If the Clampett's cows are in their sackcloth, you better get in your sackcloth too, Bessie. Like, I, I wonder if God's like, are you, are you for real? Or I wonder if God is going to say, you don't think I could put a man in a fish and make him survive for three days? You don't think I'm the Lord of heaven and earth? You don't think I could part a red sea? You don't think I could create an earth in seven literal days? I don't know which one he's going to say. But what I do know what he will say is how are you going with loving your enemies? That's what he will definitely say. Maybe he'll say this, maybe he'll say that, but he will definitely say, how are you going with loving your enemies? And that's what this was all about. You see, this was written down in the post-exilic period. The, the people of Israel had been torn from their homeland. They'd been shoved out. They'd been enslaved. They'd been married off to people into distant lands. And, and now they're coming back. And they had to figure out how are they going to exist with their neighbours and you and I know that if we were to write a national identity document, it would be about getting revenge on those people. This is revolutionary because God is showing Jonah about the forgiveness and the mercy and the love and the grace of God. And if I can forgive them, Jonah, can you forgive them too? If I can forgive them, Jonah, can your people forgive them too? How are you going with loving your enemies? I might say, Bron, um, it's, really, it's really hard. They really, really hurt me. They really did. And you might say that to Jesus. They really, really hurt me, Jesus. And, and Jesus would say, oh, did they crucify you? No, I'm not trying to be flippant or trite or anything like that. I'm just trying to say that there's something that we miss in this story if we just think about facts and figures and, and literal versus non-literal. And, and what I've seen happen is that actually people get so concerned with this stuff that rather than tearing down the wall that Jonah built that God was trying to show him didn't need to exist, we build another one around it. And we say, well, let's debate on whether the scripture is literal about the fish or whether it's just, you know, figurative. And let's put up another wall. And if you agree with me, then you're, you're great. And if you don't, then you're a dumb dumb. And, and we, we put up this other secondary wall rather than looking at what God actually intended in the first place, which was for us to tear it down. <laughs> Do you see someone around who, who God says, will you run towards them? Will you love them in spite of what they've done? Will you accept them regardless or do you reject them? Do you run away from them? Do you hold on to the resentment of what they've done? You see, this book is not about revenge. It's about the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God despite what the Ninevites had done to the Israelites. How do we treat those who have been horrific to us? How do we think about them? Do we look at Jonah's fence and build another one and say it's either yes or it's no, you need to choose and we come down on opposite sides of the fence. So tonight, I just want to wrap up with some questions. And the first one is obviously how are you going with loving your enemies? How are you going with loving your enemies? Are you working on that? Are you putting energy into that? Or are you too caught up on literal fish debates on Facebook where eventually you get so mad that you just say something that you wish you hadn't said and tore down any kind of reputation that you would have built that would have drawn people to Jesus? How are you going with loving your enemies? How would you be if your ex showed up in church next Sunday? How would you go if the 
girl that sprayed you in the office that just just told everyone all these things about you that you told her in confidence? How would you be if she showed up here next Sunday? And then the church that I grew up in, um, there were, in this, in this service, there were what we would call moves of the Spirit. And there's moves of the Spirit in our service right now too. It just looks a little different to what I grew up with. But I remember our pastor talking about the fact that we make judgments on who should and shouldn't be used in those gifts of the Spirit. And sometimes the most, the, the people that you would never think should be used according to our philosophy, according to our judgment, according to what it looks like for us, oh, they shouldn't be used. How can they possibly use? What are they doing up there? What are they doing talking like that? What are they doing being used by God in that way when X, Y, Z? We come up with all our reasons and all our opinions. How are you going with loving your enemies? Number two, when was the last time you got in a boat to Tarshish? When was the last time that you took one look at where God was asking you to go towards to extend love and grace and mercy, and you went, oh, no, <laughs> and ran in the other direction. I'm going to Tassie, God. That's where I'm headed. When was the last time you went in a boat to Tarshish? Who's God asking you to run towards right now rather than run away from? Jonah chapter 4, when's the last time you prayed this prayer in verse 2 and 3? A Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, my Lord, take away my life, for it is better to me to die than live. When's the last time that you should have been celebrating something good that was happening to your neighbor, but it actually just ate you up inside? It actually just made you so angry that you're like, God, you've clearly abandoned me for you to be able to bless those people and not do what you said and what you promised to me. When's the last time you prayed a prayer like that? When's the last time you sat under a withering vine? This vine grew up over Jonah and, and then a worm came along and eat it out. When's the last time you allowed a worm of resentment to get on the inside of you and steal away your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness and your self-control. When was the last time the fruit of the Spirit went rotten because you allowed a, a worm of resentment to get on the inside of you? You know, this doesn't always need to be with an enemy. Sometimes it happens just because we, we see things differently to how we think they should be. I, a long time ago, we, we bought a little Sigma and uh, it was a little red Sigma and we just moved here, and I had a car. I had a 1982 Mazda, but we used to travel up here a lot um, when we were thinking of moving here. And in three trips, we hit three roos, and the little 1982 Mazda was no more. Moment of silence, please. And uh, I love that little car. But when we got here, um, we had a car that Daz took away to work, and we had to buy a second car. We didn't realize how big Tamworth was. <laughs> Yeah, just country folk. And, um, and so we got this little red Sigma and, and eventually mum and dad gave us their car. It was so awesome. Um, we had no money and they gave us their car. It was air conditioned. It was a, a 1990 Ford Falcon, two-tone blue and silver. It was amazing. And oh, my mum's here. Everyone, can we please welcome my mum? <laughs> and um, 
they gave us their car air-conditioned, and so that was the best because the Sigma only had one kind of air-conditioning. And, um, and so we thought, well, we've got this Sigma, what will we do with it? And at the time, we were running a kids' club out of Coldale where kids would just flock across the railway to our little church, and, and we'd have this kids' club for them, play games, and it was awesome. And there was a single mum there called Amanda, and she had one son called Hugh, and she was doing it tough. And so we thought, well, we've been blessed. Let's bless Amanda. And we gave Amanda the Sigma. And it was about three months later, and I'm driving around the Ford Falcon, and it was a clunker, but it was great because we had no money. It was a clunker. And, uh, <laughs> and we were driving around in it, and I reckon it would have been about 1990 or something like that, that car. And then I, I saw Amanda and Hugh driving around, and they were driving around like a 1998 Corolla. They'd obviously traded in the Sigma for something much better. And I had this moment of, well, hang on. <laughs> Let's trade cars back. (laughs) I I gave you the Sigma, but I didn't expect you to be more blessed than me in this moment. And I got a little bit offended at God, saying, God, I'm grateful for this car, but she's got a better one. (laughs) And don't we get like that sometimes? God, you've given me this, but theirs is better, and I like theirs more, and I'm a little bit offended at you, God, because I feel like my sacrifice should have meant that I deserve more from you. And here's Jonah under the vine the worm just eating it out and the sun beating down on his head and his bald spot starting to peel. And he's just angry and, and offended at God. When was the last time you were angry to death at you, about your favourite plant? Rhodes, was that recent? Tomato plant? <laughs> when was the last time you were angry to death about your favourite plant? It just, you know, it, it died and, and, and you feel like that was wrong and that was not God's justice and you didn't deserve that. I don't deserve that. When was the last time you got passionate about someone else getting a promotion or someone else getting something that you thought that you deserved? And I wonder if as passionate as you got about that, if you would get as passionate about those people who can't see and who need eyesight, if 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 the same passion that kind of builds in you when you see an injustice in your life that means that you didn't get a raise that you were going to spend on yourself anyway, if you would get as passionate about people who are over the other side of the world who can't work and can't live independently because they need $30 for an eye surgery, would you get as passionate and riled up about a sense of justice as that? Would you, would you let that get on the inside about you even more? Because church, a selfish is not about a sea creature. And selfish is our hearts, not about whales. And Jonah is not about a whale. It's about how we're going to get on with people that have hurt us. How we're going to forgive people. If we're going to treat them how God wants us to treat them. If we're going to have compassion towards them. If we're going to, to just to forgive them. If we're not going to care about, you know, how the penance that they do or the forgiveness that they seek from us or the recompense that they're going to make. But if they turn to God and, and they show up here next Sunday, then, then we're onto it and we're welcoming, welcoming them. Selfish, not a sea creature. Hearts, not whales. Will we get as passionate about the lost people that are in our city. And if they come here next Sunday, are we ready to welcome them home and say, I'm so glad that you came? In Gunnedah Church, a man decided to follow Jesus two weeks ago, one day. One day Sunday, three weeks ago actually now. And he made that decision. 
And he was an atheist. And his wife had invited him and invited him and he'd never come. He said he was not coming. And this man decided, he, he just realised that Jesus was real, that Jesus loved him and he gave his heart. He had a revelation of grace and gave his heart to Jesus and said, I want to go your way and not my way anymore. And they had connect group with at his house on Wednesday night. They'd always had connect group at his house, but his wife would be with everyone in the back room and he'd be in the lounge room watching TV. But he was out there with them on Wednesday night. And... Uh, and he was in that room with them with tears just flowing down his face saying, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. He couldn't believe that Jesus' grace would extend so far to him. And you know what? If Jesus' grace can extend so far to him, then surely our grace can come off here as well. Surely we can just tear down these walls and, and just say, I don't care what side you come down on. You want to talk about a fish? Great, let's talk about a fish. You want to talk about Jesus? I'd much prefer to talk about that. Let's not say who's in, who's out. Let's just be inclusive and say, if you want to love Jesus, if you want to let him change you, then let's get in this together and let's go after him. Do you agree? Say amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.